Hello, and welcome to Make It Clear, a conversational podcast about all things related to water and wastewater. I'm your host, Angela Bounds, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sean Rapp. In each episode, we'll tackle a relevant topic with facts and expert opinions and make things clear. Hi, and welcome back. Thanks for joining us again. Today, we're joined by Kevin Kelly. Hi, Kevin. Hello. And Sean's here, of course, as always, to make sure that we stay on topic and on task. Yep, just trying my best. So today we're going to talk about high strength waste. It's kind of a hot button topic within the industry. So Kevin's here today to kind of give us a, an overview. We're going to take kind of a 10,000 foot view and just talk about what it is, why it's a concern, where you find it. So let's kick it off. So Kevin, why don't you tell the audience exactly what the definition of high strength waste is? What does that mean? Like when people hear it, what what does it even mean? Yeah, sure. So usually this is anything that is going to be a higher waste strength than domestic strength waste. This can the exact definition can vary from, you know, municipality, you know, from each regulatory body, that sort of thing. But generally we're looking at commercial waste from things like kitchens, waste from things like wineries, breweries, or, or any, any commercial facility that might have some sort of process where most of the wastewater stream isn't coming from humans. Right. So when you, when you say kitchen, just for definition, you're talking about a restaurant kitchen. You're talking about a commercial kitchen. You're not talking about a kitchen in a home. Yeah. Generally, we're talking about commercial facilities, restaurants, anything where they might serve food or cook food. So it could be like catering businesses, that sort of thing. Right. But your your home kitchen will produce high strength waste as well. It's just typically diluted by things like showers and washing dishes mm-hmm. and other stuff as well. Right. right. So why is high strength waste a problem? Why is it a concern? Well, I mean, I guess simply put, it's just more expensive to treat, you know. And mm-hmm. so, you know, at the end of the day. It's an economics thing where if you have higher strength wastewater, you're going to spend more money to treat it. Generally, the permits, at least the projects that I work on, have fixed permit limits. So like, say, 10 milligrams liter BOD. Well, if you're starting at 100, that's only a 90% reduction. But if you're starting mm-hmm. at 1,000, that's a 99% reduction. Right. So right. it's just a, a matter of numbers and, and things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are some of the problems you can run into if we don't design systems to treat high strength waste? Yeah. So remember, the reason why we're treating the wastewater is to protect the environment, to protect public health. And so mm-hmm. if you have high strength waste and you're not treating it effectively, what's going to happen is you're going to discharge that wastewater that hasn't been treated adequately into the environment. And so depending on the type of process that is, the, that could just mean that your drain field fails sooner. You know, And mm-hmm. so now you're having to use your replacement drain field or, or excavate and refill or, or whatever, you're, you're spending a lot of money that way. But it could also mean that you're discharging excessive amounts of pollutants into you know a water body or something, right? And so now you're impacting recreation, you're impacting businesses, right. you're impacting public health. You know, the last thing we want is to have to close a beach or something because of an E. coli outbreak. Right, mm-hmm. right. 
So why don't you talk a little bit about the facilities that produce high strength waste, what makes it high strength, et cetera? Yeah. So like I said before, we're really talking about things where most of the wastewater is not coming from humans. So we're looking at things like a restaurant. Restaurant is going to be problematic because the type of restaurant is going to determine the the type of waste that we're looking at. For example, if you have a place that's using primarily prepackaged ingredients and they're they're not really doing a lot of cooking, their waste drink might actually be a lot lower mm-hmm. than a place where they're using, you know, a lot of fats, a lot of oils, mm-hmm. and you know, these things are being washed down the drain when they do dishes. And so now the the biochemical oxygen demand or the BOD can vary anywhere from like three hundred milligrams per liter all the way up to over four thousand milligrams mm-hmm. per liter, just right. depending on the type of restaurant it is and what their kitchen practices are. Right. Frying foods. Yep. Frying foods, lots of butter, mm-hmm. you know, lots of oils. Those those are really problematic because fats, oils, and greases aren't typically broken down through the wastewater processes that we use as easily as other things. Compare that to say like a winery. A winery is going to have a lot of sugars, a lot of dissolved organic material in their wastewater stream. And those are readily accessible by the microorganisms that we're depending on to treat the wastewater. And so those winery wastewater strengths are higher, but they're also somewhat easier to treat because the material that's there is, is easier to treat. Whereas things with like fats, those are very long chains of amino uh, fatty acids and things. And so those are really difficult for the microorganisms to treat in the timeframes that we're looking at. Doesn't the regulated cleaning practices within those facilities, don't those pose an issue in the waste stream also? Do you mean the kitchens? And stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the, a lot of the commercial kitchens will use dishwashers that use lots of detergents and, and emulsifiers and things. And what ends up happening is the, the fats, oils, and grease, instead of being disposed of like on site or or they'll they'll basically be emulsified and passed along into the treatment system or mm-hmm. into the sewer. And the sewer can can become clogged and and then it becomes a problem later too as it gets to the treatment plant. It can clog up pumps and, and all sorts of it cause all sorts of problems depending on where it decides to solidify. Right. So how do you treat it? So it, it really depends on what you're trying to treat. One of the things I didn't mention before is not all high-strength waste has to be BOD or fat. It could mm-hmm. also even be nitrogen. So if you take, for example, a rest area that is mostly going to have people stopping by and, and going to the bathroom doing number one, it's going to be really high in ammonia, but really low in solids and BOD. And that mm-hmm. would also be considered high strength waste because it's exe- even the, because it's not it's not mixed with all the other stuff that's typically mm-hmm. you know found in a household. For BOD and ammonia, the way you would handle those would be basically just doing more of what you're already doing. You're going to be adding more oxygen if that's you know you're adding more air with your aerobic treatment processes. Fat tools and grease are a little bit different because. The best way to really deal with that is to preferably keep it from getting into the system because once it gets in there, it is very difficult to treat. And there's different types of chemicals you can use that can melt the fat away, mm-hmm. which just kind of passes it down the treatment train. 
there's certain types of chemicals you can use that are that contain enzymes that will help facilitate treatment. But oftentimes what you'll want to do is something like dissolved air flotation with a mechanical skimmer. And mm-hmm. basically you're just going to physically remove it from the treatment process before it can cause problems. So So what what's the threshold for high strength waste? So we're talking about waste that is higher than residential limits. Right. So what are they looking at? BOD, TSS, fat oils and greases, influent. So BOD, you're probably, I, I typically see residential strength waste is like, you know, 300 milligrams per liter BOD. So anything higher than that or too much higher than that is what I would mm-hmm. consider high strength. And these are, these are raw values before any right. sort of right. primary treatment has occurred. Because a lot of times in the on-site industry specifically, we're looking at right. values, you know, after the septic tank. Yeah. For for TSS, it's going to be, you know, about the same, that 300 to 400 range. And then for ammonia, we're looking at, you know, around 60 to 70 in that range. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fat tools in Greece, about 20 to 25. Sorry on this one. So as a society, what can we do to limit or eliminate high-strength waste? Unfortunately, there there aren't a lot of things that we can do at a society level because mm-hmm. just the nature of the the things that we want to do in life. You know, if we want to drink mm-hmm. wine, well, someone right. has to has <laughs> or to eat at a restaurant. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But there are a couple there are a couple things that I would recommend, not directly related to high strength waste, but related to wastewater in general. Would be be aware of what you're flushing down the drain. Be aware of what you're putting down the sink. Right. Flushable wipes, while technically they are flushable. They cause all sorts of problems in sewers and wastewater treatment plants. And they can combine with the fat tools and greases that we mentioned earlier to create what people have coined as fatbergs. Yeah. You basically mm-hmm. have hundreds of pounds of fats and wipes and other things that shouldn't be in the sewer, just clogging up the sewers, clogging up the pumps, you know, causing yeah. all sorts of damage and stuff. Only Google that term if you've got a strong stomach. Right. It- Fatbergs are—they're a thing. They're real and they're nasty. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I would say would be kitchen practices. That's probably the single greatest place where we can, you know, make an impact at a society level. Mm-hmm. Is is just making sure that we're not pouring our bacon grease and our butter and right. and all that stuff down the drain. Make sure that we're not putting food scraps in our in sink grinders. Let's scrape that into the trash or compost it or something. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be ideal. But those are the only two things that I can think of that would probably have a major impact, just other than just not doing the things that we enjoy. Yeah. I know system design plays a lot into that too. And if folks are interested, just to make a quick statement here, that we do have a previous podcast we had done that differentiates how design for commercial versus residential systems operate. Mm-hmm. And that if you're interested in listening to that, that's a really good sort of segue into this conversation. But I know system design plays a really big role too in as far as how high strength waste gets treated. What are some technologies that are pretty effective or very more effective at treating high strength waste than say just a septic tank and a drain field? Anything aerobic. You know, septic tanks are are very good from a cost perspective because they're passive, but they they depend on anaerobic treatment processes, which are very, very slow. Once you start getting into high strength waste, you really can't 
you really can't do that anymore because you just have to have so much equipment. Mm-hmm. The retention time in the system is going to be so large. And so what most people end up opting for are going to be very aerobic systems. We're talking, you know, MBRs, SBRs, you know, attached growth, like our own pack bed filters, but basically anything where you can get a lot of oxygen to the organisms because they're the ones that are going to be doing the treatment and mm-hmm. oxygen is just the most efficient, you know, respiratory process that we have, I guess. And so you just want to make sure that you're adding a lot of air. Okay. Great. All right, Sean, you have any more questions? No, I think that was actually really informative and I appreciate the input on that. That's great. All right. Anything else you want to add, Kevin? Yeah, actually, one more thing I didn't mention that I have here in my notes was talking about RV parks. Mm. RV parks are interesting because we're seeing a we're seeing a trend where there's two like main categories of RV RV parks. One of them is going to be more long-term stay. People are coming in and mm. you know, maybe they're renting the place for the summer or, or the winter yeah. if they're trying to get out of the cold or something. And those are going to be more residential strength in nature. But a lot of your campgrounds that are going to have you know, kind of like weekend warrior types, they're going to come mm-hmm. out with their RV. And in those RVs are going to be dump stations, or I'm sorry, in the RVs there's going to be blackwater tanks that are going to want to discharge into a dump station. And those blackwater tanks have formaldehyde, deodorizers, and things like that in them Mm -hmm. that, by their very design, have they inhibit organic treatment because we're depending on the microorganisms to, you know, to treat that wastewater. And so just be aware that if you are using these things and you have that in your RV park, you need to take take that into account. So you're going to probably need to have additional retention times and and you're going to want to probably have some aeration. Or at the very least, you're going to want to meter that in slowly into your treatment plant. So that way you're not overwhelming the treatment plant with this really high strength waste that also has chemical additives in there to prevent the the treatment that we're trying to accomplish. Good information. All right. Well, thanks so much, Kevin, for joining us and talking about this. It is important. to Very important. Yep. Treat our high strength waste and all of our waste. Mm-hmm. So thanks for being here and thanks for being here, Sean, and thanks all of you for listening. We want to thank you again for joining us today. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe where you listen to podcasts so you're notified when new episodes are posted. Also, you can leave your comments or suggestions through the contact link on our website, www.orenco.com. Until next time, have a great day.